Over the years, I've had the privilege of riding BMW motorcycles all over the world. And the one thing I've come away with is that the only thing more extraordinary than the ride are the people you meet along the way. These are their stories. My name is Sean Thomas, and this is BMW Motorrad's Ride and Talk. We have movement. This is the exciting thing about recording a podcast with a dog in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's time to get up and stretch. Are you done, Max? <laughs> um, it takes a special kind of commitment to ride a motorcycle, and that is especially true when we ride internationally. But Jess and Greg Stone took this a step further and brought Moxie along for the ride. Weighing in at over 34 kilos, Moxie is a large German shepherd that has logged thousands of kilometers on the back of Jess's motorcycle. While on their international adventure, Jess, Greg, and Moxie stopped by our United States studio in California and shared with us what it's like to travel the world on motorcycles with their four-legged companion on the back. There's so many places I want to start, and and I, I think I got to start at the beginning. And, and I don't even know where that is, but... You know, somewhere along the lines, you decided you wanted to ride a motorcycle for a pretty long distance. You know, there was an international in your minds. How did motorcycling start for you? Where did it come from? So Greg actually taught me how to ride. We were international aid workers. We were living in Africa. I met Greg when we were working um, for a nonprofit in South Sudan, or Sudan at the time. Uh, And then Greg ended up inviting me to come to Liberia. He had another job in West Africa. So we traveled together after only being together for like a week. We decided to make that move. And Greg soon told me that he had this plan that he was going to continue his North to South America trip. He had done L.A. to Panama, ran out of money, couldn't complete South America. Had to ditch the motorcycle in Panama and get my passport liberated, you know, because they put a freeze on it when you import the bike. So I took it to a customs broker and said, uh, I'll I'll be back in a couple of weeks and got the passport liberated and was able to escape. (laughs) So he always said that he was going to do that. And so he invited me to come along on this. He wanted to do a full north to south, but he said I had to learn how to ride. He didn't necessarily want to have me on the back. He wanted to do his trip and have his adventure. He'd like me to come along, but I'd have to learn. I had never driven a standard vehicle, had absolutely no idea about motorcycles. I had been on the back a couple of times in Africa, but nothing really. Um, And so we ended up buying little 160cc bikes in Liberia, and Greg taught me how to ride. (laughs) I told you I was going to have a hard time figuring out where to start. And and just hearing that answer, I already started in the wrong spot because (laughs) how the heck did you decide to go be an aid worker in Africa? Like that's the starting point. Yeah. So I always wanted to live overseas. Um, I studied international development was my field. And I uh, I went to Ghana as my first experience. And I picked like the most rural place I could find. I'm from Toronto. I'm from Canada in the suburbs. Uh, my, pa- my, my family is, my parents are from Switzerland. They moved to Canada in their 30s. So m- me and my sister were first generation. Um, so we grew up with uh, traveling a lot because we'd go back to Switzerland to Europe every summer. Um, and And so when I wanted to do something myself, I thought, well, I need to do something tough. I really want to test myself. So I picked Ghana because it was English speaking, because I thought that would make me at least a little comfortable. Um, But I picked a place, no running water, no electricity. um, And I was supporting a a local school out in the middle of nowhere. Wow. Um, So that was my sort of first experience of traveling overseas by myself um, and absolutely loved it. And from then on, I knew that I was going to go back to Africa. Uh, Greg, Somewhere along the lines, you 
too decided to go be an adventurer and ended up in Africa at that point. Where did that come from? Yeah, hard hard to put my finger on it other than I guess always sort of had a wanderlust. And then when I sort of looked at what are the opportunities for making a living and living abroad or, or traveling um, and you know, what, 15, 20 years ago, it was before um, there was any kind of remote work possibilities. So it was like, I somehow hit on, well, aid work. I mean, they pay you to be in other countries and to mm -hmm. do good things. And that sounds pretty amazing, right? Um, and so I did that. I ended up in grad school getting caught in, I was going to Tulane in New Orleans at the time. And 2005 is when Katrina came. Um, and so I ended up, uh, with a friend of mine going over to the Superdome and volunteering, we're like, we're public health students. Maybe we can help just figuring yeah. it would be a, a, an evening, you know, and then the next sure. day we leave, we ended up being in the Superdome through Katrina, uh, at the special needs shelter. And then that turned into a contract with the city during the rebuilding for the next six months. And then finally, okay, off into Africa where... I met Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when you're traveling, um, especially I found outside the United States, you know, motorcycles are, are plentiful and not just for pleasure. Like the, it's something you do to get around and it's at a utilitarian machine. Mm -hmm. you know? So I, I suppose it was a pretty easy connection to be in Africa and go, it's time to be on two wheels. I mean, we've seen people carry refrigerators on motorcycles, giant door frames on um, certainly several gas cylinders, you know, for, for your stove. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Utilitarian, not to mention the whole family at the mm -hmm. same time. So yeah, super uh, utilitarian and it's, it's not a pleasure there, right? It's just a, a motorcycle is affordable and to do and and the projects that we were working on, a lot of the places you couldn't get to by with land cruisers, you had to have a bike. Mm. Um, so we did have a lot of uh, dirt bikes out there that people were using if they were um, with the ambulances, they would have the, oh, the, the medical, the medical yeah. like uh, uh, motorcycles yeah, and, that they would have. Now, there, there's a generally a sense of, I think, anywhere you ride in the world, you, you know, there's a sense of vulnerability that creates the hump of getting on a motorcycle and riding and, and riding for the first time for you, you're really in a foreign country. And how, how was that experience, you know, getting on the bike for the first time in that area, learning how to ride it? So I was extremely intimidated. There mm. were there was not a single other woman rider around, mm. like not even on these small bikes. Women weren't riding. And the only the only experience that I had um, or knowledge of riding was basically looking online. But it was it was intimidating because I didn't have any of that experience. So I would read these blogs and I would hear things or read things that women were saying, like, I went out for my first ride and then all of a sudden my bike went down at the stop sign. And I'd be thinking, what was happening to these women? Why was why was this stuff happening? Like mm. your bike just goes down? Like what what was that? Soon enough, on my first ride by myself, I uh, it was just a really short ride, probably 10 minutes to another hotel further down the road. Um, I got off. I was so excited. And when I stopped, I, I forgot to put the kickstand down. Whoa. Bike went down and, yeah. and that was it. And it's like, now I understand what those women were talking about. <laughs> but it was, it like I said, it was intimidating to, to not really have anybody around who I could talk to about it mm. and sort of share it. I had Greg, but it's also a different sort of setup up when it's your boyfriend at the time mm. teaching you how to ride. Yeah. Um, and he obviously knew how, and he was getting a bit frustrated with me in the way that I was I was taking it because I had my heels dug in. Yeah. Um, that was a big part of the problem because 
I didn't really accept the challenge that I wanted to ride. I wanted to ride because I wanted to be with Greg and I wanted to go on this adventure with him. But I wasn't really ready to take on that challenge. So every time when we went out, it's like I was overwhelmed. There mm. was a lot of stress. And so it was tough for me to sort of get past that. Um, but I put on about a thousand kilometers uh, before we left Liberia uh, and went on to buy our BMWs. And you've been riding a long time now, and we're going to get to that. But I'm really curious, how much pressure are you putting on yourself, you know, to represent women to be successful at this? It was huge, because obviously, I'm this blonde woman. We were practicing on like the side streets in Monrovia in the main city there. It was like potholed road. It was horrible. Um, and obviously, we'd have a lot of onlookers. I'd have a bunch mm. of guys standing around watching mm. me go through this whole thing. Um but the cool thing about it was soon after Greg taught me, like within a few weeks, we started seeing women learning how to ride. Men Whoa. were teaching their girlfriends or their wives at the same same locations where we were practicing. They would come out and they would be teaching them on these small little sport bikes as well. So it was uh, it felt so good to sort of be that influence. At the time, I was I was like, oh wow, we're really like getting getting stuff going on here. Um, and now when I look back, it just it feels so good to know that I I potentially influenced them or inspired them to try something that maybe they felt a little uncomfortable to do. I think that the enormous amount of pressure that we might put on ourselves, like if, if I'm out here representing an entire gender to ride, like, like, do, is there a point when you can tell yourself, like, it's okay if I don't get this and I don't want this? Or do you absolutely like, you know, representing women everywhere, I've got to get this and I've got to get it right? I, I definitely put a lot of pressure on myself about that. I, I don't want to look silly. I don't want to mm. let all the other women down out there. Um, so I do have that feeling like I need to do this right. I need to make sure that I at least give it a try. Um, at the beginning, I didn't feel so much like that because I was just so in my head. I was just so mm. worked up of just trying to get the thing down, get those skills. Um, and now as I've, as I've grown as a rider, it's I want to I want people to look at me and feel like they can do it too. Mm. Um, and it doesn't mean that I got to like barrel down a dirt road and not go down. Like that's not what I'm talking sure. about. I'm talking about doing something that you love, that you enjoy, that a smile is on your face and people can just see that that yeah. joy come out. That's what I really want other people to see from me. Now, Greg, if I understood right, you're about a week into this relationship with this woman and you've decided to teach her how to ride. And it sounds like she's got a lot of pressure on her shoulders. <laughs> like, How are you taking this? Were you going... Like, what have I gotten myself into or were you feeling good? Yeah, it, it all kind of happened very quickly, I think. Um, I had When I had done my previous Los Angeles to Panama trip, I met a couple that were riding BMW F650 singles at the time. Uh -huh. And I was just enthralled. Like, you mean you can do this as a couple? This is a thing that like you can find a partner who wants to do this with you? It just, it just opened. It rocked my world. Hmm. And, but to, to think that you'd meet somebody that would do that with you, I mean, no way, right? All of a sudden, you know, when I kind of tentatively asked Jess, would you be interested in going if you learned to ride? And she said, yeah, yeah, I do that. I mean, just, you know, mind blowing. So uh, I think Jess, what Jess said is, is very true though, about uh, there's this nuance there about being, feeling like you're maybe being pushed into or pulled into what's it pushed or pulled into it, Right versus what Jess said about accepting the challenge. Um, and I think we've both sort of experienced that uh, roller coaster, right, of Jess wanted to do this trip, but maybe it wasn't her dream 
to do this motorcycle trip. She wasn't into motorcycles. Uh, it was mine and she was kind of mm. feeling maybe brought along um, versus I accept this challenge. This is my challenge. This is my dream. And I'm all in. Is that yeah. fair to say? Well, it's amazing how many women have come to me now after the fact, after sort of hearing the story of how, how this all happened and said, yeah, it was my boyfriend or my husband who got me into riding. At the beginning, I wasn't really sure about it. Now I love it. Now it's mm. mine and I've taken it on. So mm. they understand that too. So you decided somewhere along the line, once you started riding together, it was worth it to take it to the next level. There has to be a lot of steps between, I I'm, I'm want to ride my motorcycle a little more, and I want to go on a big international trip. Tell me about the stepping stones there. So when we decided that we were going to do a north to south, we... Like we started, we decided that right when he was teaching me how to ride, like there wasn't any in between. Mm. It was, I'm going to teach you how to ride. We're going to save up our money for the year that we have this contract. And then we're going to go and do it. Um, so we planned out what bikes we were going to buy, what gear we wanted, the route that we were going to take. All of that was done virtually in that sense from Liberia. And so it was right after our year-long contract ended, we, we went to LA, that's where we bought our motorcycles, and then we started the trip. So tell us about the trip, the north to south. Where did you start exactly and what ultimately was the goal? So we started in Los Angeles, where Greg is from, and we, we actually did a couple of practice trips. So right when we got to LA, like Greg said, he wanted the, he thought the 650s were going to be the best thing. I had absolutely no idea. Like I said, I, I've only, from looking online is my, my experience. So he said, okay, you're going to get a 650 and then he's going to get the 700. I said, okay, fine. So we went to the dealer, uh, we bought the bikes. And from there, we, I had mine trailered. I couldn't even ride it back. I was just so anxious. <laughs> I was just, I was so overwhelmed after buying this brand new bike. I'm like, it doesn't even have crash bars on it yet. Yeah. I can't take it yet. Greg rode his back. Um, we we had them for a few days. We put all of the stuff on it. And then we did two practice trips at some of the national parks. Um, I got completely overwhelmed. He took me on Topanga up to the rock store. Mm. Uh I went from my 160 to my 650, having like such little experience. It was a struggle, um, but I did it. Uh, and the series of nearly relationship-ending um, events along that first trip, I think Topanga and the Road to the Rock Store was probably the first one. <laughs> so for those of you that don't know, Topanga is this insanely twisty, turny mountain road that ends at what I thought was a rather unremarkable stopping point, other than that it was cram-packed full of motorcycles and people riding bikes. So that is a heck of a road. And and at the time, you're riding your new bike, which was a 650 single, mm -hmm. yeah? So a G650 mm -hmm. GS. And you have purchased the F700 GS. That's right. And you've loaded them for bear. Mm -hmm. And you're out going on your first ride. And you pick Topanga, which is... Well, it's part of the, we knew we had to put ourselves into some spots and, and test it. We needed to run the motorcycles through their RPMs, right, for as part of the break-in process. So, uh, oh, Greg. There you go. That's how I'm justifying it <laughs> after the fact. <laughs> uh, but, putting your relationship to the test. In the yeah, it, w it was difficult. Like, I was... I can get really anxious. And so when I get anxious, I'll take it out on Greg. And so we had our communicators on and he could just hear me the whole time just sort of saying like, 
I don't think I can do this. I need to stop. There's people behind me. We need to let them pass. And that's always been my thing where I feel like I'm being pressured. There's somebody behind me. I need to, I'm going too slow. Everybody wants to pass me. It's dangerous. Um, so I sort of had all of that going on this whole time when we were practicing. Um, and I don't feel like it got any better in those two practice trips before we set off. But we knew we had to go because our goal was to go to Alaska. And it was already like, it was... It was already too late. It was, it was late. getting into August, September. So yeah. somehow we didn't let go of the idea that Alaska was a possibility. Yeah. But we ultimately made it up as far as about Whistler in British Columbia. Mm -hmm. uh, turned around like, you know, on fire, basically, trying to get away from so the cold. cold. It was just so cold at that point. And threw ourselves south, right? Yeah, to, then we uh, went through Baja. Um, and Baja was a whole other thing. A nearly relationship-ending moment number two. Baja, California, <laughs> 2013. <laughs> of course, Greg wants to try out his bike. He's got like a dual sport, and so do I. But he had a dual sport in that sense that he wanted to actually try on the dirt. And the Baja 1000 was going on at the time where they were practicing for it. So there were all of these bikes around and, and the vehicles. And so the tracks were there. It gets your dander up a little bit. Yeah. So Greg's like, let's do it. Let's just do a road. Let's do one of those dirt roads from here to here. I can't even remember where it was from, but we were going to spend the day doing dirt. So these right, are, we couldn't just do like a few miles and then you know come. We had to like no, it was cross be like the an peninsula. Eight-hour day of riding in the dirt <laughs> on bikes that had street tires that were fully loaded. I had a, a ninety-pound, a ninety-liter duffel on the back, mm -hmm. um, and so Same. did Greg. But yeah, so we were fully loaded <laughs> um, with street tires on, and then this was the kicker. Greg thought that he wanted to save the environment when we were on this trip. So he didn't want to buy bottled water. Single-handedly, I was going to personally save the environment by not buying bottled water in Baja, California. So <laughs> I was on a mission. <laughs> so we had a SteriPen, which is those UV pens that you can put in the water and it kills all sure. the junk. The thing about the SteriPen is it doesn't kill the taste. So Greg filled up our water with the, the scummy water from where we were staying the night before and now we're in the desert. I've fallen like three or four times. I'm exhausted. Mm. Let, let me add to this that it was your birthday. It was your 29th birthday. And so the night before was your 29th birthday eve, mm -hmm. during which we um, were camped out under a palapa that had a, a Mexican bar, you know, nearby uh, that kept serving us plentifully. <laughs> So we are a bit hungover at this point. Go ahead. And completely dehydrated. Mm -hmm. And so I go for the water and I couldn't even drink it. Oh, goodness. I couldn't even drink that water. So now I'm even more dehydrated. I've dropped my bike numerous times it, to the points where um, when there were hills, and uh, sandy hills, it was all mm. sand, complete sand. Yeah. And Greg, I, I made Greg like pick up my bike and ride it to the next spot where I thought maybe I could pick it up and continue. Mm. Uh, we did this like four or five times and it was exhausting. And we had these guys on their dirt bikes just zooming past us and like kicking up all the dirt. And mm. I, I at one point I just sat on the side of the road in my gear and I'm just like, what are we doing? Totally dejected, just like yeah. crestfallen. And then the funny thing is Greg thought this was going to be like a fantastic gift for my birthday, that I was going to just grow as a person and I was going to be, uh, it's just going to be so much of that for my birthday. And I came out of it just like, 
uh, I don't ever want to do dirt again. I kept yeah. saying like, okay, I know that it's hard right now, but think about how this morning you were one person and at the end of this day, you're going to be a totally different person. Doesn't that just like jazz? Isn't that amazing? How often in your life? God. Oh, that was falling so flat. <laughs> yeah. How, how often have I, have I thought that in the abstract? Like I might struggle a bit. But it's all good for character. Yes. But in the moment, it's just awful. No, it's horrible. And try telling that to somebody else, right? Who's who's suffering like crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So bad, bad news. You bad got idea. through the the day of of shenanigans mm-hmm. off road. Yes. And, and decided rightly that you would never go off road again. I'm sure. I that I I was not confident enough. Um, that I hadn't had any training and mm. I just felt like I had thrown myself into this thing and it's probably a little bit dangerous to do that. So I don't really want to be doing that again. Um, and the funny thing is, <laughs> like soon after that, we got into dirt right again. Like anytime mm. you're riding through Latin America, there's always going to be construction uh, on the yeah. road and there's going to be detours and it's going to be gravel. It's going to be sand or it's going to be like mm. soft, soft dirt. Um, and so we ended up coming on a bunch of that as well. But I must say that looking back, the experience in Baja did help uh, me get through some of those other sections. Um, right. But, yeah. you, you heard it. She said it. <laughs> the character building, it happened. <laughs> <laughs> you were right the whole time. Yeah. It was a perfect call. So a lot of people have an, an off-road origin story like that one where they're sort of thrust into it and they're in over their melon like this was too much for me and and that's it that's the end for them and and that was my story too like i tried off road and went this is awful and i'm not doing this anymore do you think that if that baja experience that you had if you had just never went on the dirt again after that would you do you think you would have pursued it riding off road probably not hmm. no it's it's not something that i looked at and thought hey that's that's something that i'm really interested in and i want to hmm. test myself i I was still such a new rider that even just doing the twisties at speed was a lot for me. So it's taken me years to feel like I can do dirt and I can do it well and I can gain those skills because there was so much going on in my mind as a new rider that I just, I couldn't concentrate on that aspect of it. It just felt too, um, too much for me at the Mm. time. What would you say? I'm sure people ask you now like about riding bikes off road. What do you tell them? in terms of how they should pursue it. Should they go to Baja? Okay, no, no Baja, no Baja. (laughs) Take a class, take a class. Um, Whatever off-road class, um, we've done the BMW off-road ones in Guatemala. They've been fantastic. Mm. Just the thing for me is because I came from a 160 to a 650, and I know a 650 is not a huge bike, and and it just felt so big for me. It Mm. felt so heavy that I couldn't manage it. Mm. Um, So in those classes, it was great to sort of experience like the weightlessness of the bike and being able to handle it and feel confident that I could pick it up myself Mm. and that I know how to manage it. And by having that confidence, it made me feel um, better to tackle things that I wouldn't have in the past. Mm. You skimmed over something briefly earlier that has been sticking with me. And it was, we're going to spend a year saving up and then we're going to go out on this thing. And I, I feel like a lot of people believe that the reason they can't go on a big trip is because they don't have a dump truck full of money that they can just draw off of and will still be there when they get back from their trip. You have to have 
a lot of infrastructure behind you. And, and I, and I'm learning that that's most people I know that go on big trips. These are not rich people and, and you're out being aid workers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And saving up from that. So tell us a little bit about the sacrifices you made to save up the funds you needed to do this trip. Yeah, very true. I mean, we certainly were not rolling in money. Um, we we saved up well in the context of um, not having had motorcycles. Most people already have bikes and can save up. Uh, we saved up to buy the bikes as well as to do the trip. But the the point was, I mean, we were not do, taking vacations or holidays. We were, you know, living very, I think, modestly. Um, in our particular context, the contract included a place to live. So, you know, uh, the pay was decent. It wasn't amazing, but room board, you know, we, we covered. And, and at that point you just, you know, you can't live the way you would normally want to live and be saving up for a big trip mm. like that. At and, least in the short amount of time that we were, were doing it for. Yeah. To do it in a year like that. I mean, it was kind of, um, extreme savings. Uh, I think if you did it over several years and could maintain that level of, uh, discipline, and I think discipline is and was the key, right? Yeah. Like, each time that you say, well, let's just eat out or let's just do this or we can go away for the weekend or, I mean, that sort of either cuts money off of what you will have for the trip when it's time or ultimately determines if or if not, you will be able to do the trip, right? You sort of had a leg up to, you've been traveling around internationally, you get a sense of what it means to be immersed in other cultures, which I think is another big scary part of international. The first time I went anywhere internationally, like I was told to be very scared. You know, the world's a scary, awful place and people want to hurt you. And and that, that was, a, and that was just so not true. Like, and you got to experience that in a very unique way as aid workers before you went on this ride. Yeah. As aid workers, we were, we were often in post-conflict places. So Greg was in Iraq. We were in South Sudan. I was in Uganda, Kenya, in certain, in Liberia, um, there's always going to be those times where people are going to say the next place down the road is even more dangerous. You need to be careful looking mm. forward. Um, it's the same thing in Latin America. Each country you go to, the next one, they'll say their neighbors are worse. Mm. Um, and it's 100% not true um, in the sense that you're you're getting to know the people on the ground. You're You're seeing the families, the communities that these people have built. And they're just like any other place, you know, they're just people living their lives. Um, Just like any big city will have a dangerous pocket because there happens to be more crime there. Every country, every city is going to have that around the world. Um, And as long as you're not there at night looking for drugs or whatever Mm. the case is, you're going to be generally okay. If you're looking for trouble, you're going to find exactly exactly that. And I think, you know, this came up, uh, we, we were on a panel a few weeks ago, and, and it was this you know, of course, conversation around Central America and Mexico. And the big topic, of course, was security. And we basically, you know, came to that to that point of saying, um, look, we can't sit up here as panelists on this and and say that, uh, oh, don't worry about it. I mean, you know, do whatever you're going to do. And but here we are all, you know, people have traveled in those areas and had nothing but really great Mm -hmm. experiences. But you come up in front of people and, of course, you've got to, well, look out for this. And when they want to want to bribe, you got to do this and watch yeah. out for this. So there's a, a natural sort of bias, I guess, that's that mm. gets created because I'm going to tell you about my worst experiences that across, well, for us, six years of living in Guatemala, 
Um, you know, a couple of times I've been asked for a bribe, but let me focus on those because that's what we're here to talk about. Yeah. Uh, day to day, it's amazing people who are warm and kind-hearted and take pride in their place and see you and get excited by what you're doing and want to mm. participate in that story. And, you know, a couple of times when you got a little bit of a runaround, that's the thing that you're going to sort of tell everybody about and focus on. Mm -hmm. mm. So it, it's unfortunate, but it really, at the end of the day, is is just constantly good stories. Those are the majority, majority, majority mm. of the experiences, you know? Yeah. There's an interesting vulnerability, I think, that comes from being on a bike mm -hmm. as I've traveled internationally. And with that vulnerability, I find that most people I meet, there's an instinct to take care of me. Like I am, I'm somewhere out, I'm out of my comfort zone. And, and I find that when people um, come across me, if I'm on the side of the road with a bike, they tend to want to help. How are you? Do you need anything? I hope you're enjoying my country. And this is something I don't experience in a car. Like if I'm in a car traveling, I'm in the car and they see me through the glass if they see me at all. But on the bike, I'm exposed. I'm nomadic. And, and I find that people just really connect with that generally. Has that been your experience? Yeah, 100%. Um, the brotherhood or sisterhood of bikers, mm. we've experienced that all around the world now, um, especially in Latin America. If there, Whenever we have an issue, if we're even on the side of the road just to look at our maps, we'll have other riders come and stop by and ask us if we need help or if we need directions or whatever it is. So we, we've glanced over Moxie and, and the folks listening may have heard a couple bumps here and there as Moxie has made her way around uh, the interview area and uh, hit the microphones here and there. But, you know, I've thought about bringing an animal with me. I'm a, I love dogs. I love cats. And I've thought, oh, it'd be cool to put the, the, my dog on the bike. Now, Moxie, other than being a dog, is a big dog. Like, and, and I just heard you talk about how nervous you were getting on a bike and especially traveling abroad on a bike. And now you've got your 650 single and Moxie comes riding along with you with goggles on and just doing her thing. How the heck did that come to be? So Moxie has been the inspiration for everything these past six years. Um, so we moved to Guatemala six years ago um, because Greg got a job working for a nonprofit out there. Um, and soon after we got there, I knew we were going to stay for a while. And we had been living overseas for a number of years. And so I really was never in the position to get a dog or to be a a good dog owner and have my dog with me all the time. So when we got there, it was time for me. And I finally was able to adopt Moxie, uh, who is my 75 pound shepherd. And at the time, I had seen her puppy parents. The, 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 her father was 120 pounds. The mother was like 90 pounds. So mm -hmm. I knew she was going to be a beast. There was mm -hmm. no way around it. And that's exactly what I wanted. I have always wanted a big dog. But yes, we only had the two motorcycles that we had ridden down. Uh, we didn't have a car and had no real intention of getting a car. So when we got Moxie, we had to sort of think about how we were going to take her along on our adventures. Mm. Um, the options that we saw for a dog that was going to be 75 pounds, you can get a sidecar, mm. you could get a trailer. Mm. Those were like the two key ways. Didn't necessarily want the sidecar because that obviously sort of messes up the way that you're riding, the way that feeling of freedom on two wheels. Mm. And especially living in, in Guatemala where there is a lot of dirt, there's mm. a lot of off-road. I didn't necessarily want the sidecar and plus 
getting one out there would be quite difficult. Mm. And the narrowness of many of those roads、yeah. and the traffic being the、mm-hmm. way it is. I mean, you're constantly on the margin. You're cutting. You're splitting lanes, and、mm-hmm. you'd all of a sudden become sort sort of a, a car. Yeah, yeah.、Mm. And then the whole trailer aspect on my 650, like again, that would be a whole to do.、Yeah. Um, and I wasn't really comfortable of hauling a trailer.、Mm. So then it was like, well, we got to find a way to do this.、Um, and she's basically like a, a small person, and、mm. so. How would you take a person? Well, you take them as a pillion.、Mm. So why not create something that would allow her to be on the back of my bike、um, with her weight in the place of a pillion, but being in a comfortable position that's going to be safe for her,、uh, and that's going to allow us to still stay on two wheels and do all of the fun riding that that I love to do. And, and that's、uh, as well being in a place like Guatemala、mm-hmm. where they use motorcycles for so many different things. It. It sort of has that influence of saying, "Well, why not for this as well, right? If you can bring your whole family on a 125 cc, if you can carry a refrigerator, if you can carry, <laughs> I mean, they, they deliver, you know, again those those huge gas cylinders that、mm-hmm. must weigh fifty fifty、mm-hmm. pounds each or something, right? And they carry two or three of them on、yeah. a 125 cc bike. Well, a 75 pound Shepherd plus a, a carrier." I mean, that it doesn't sound as crazy as as maybe when we're in the states and we kind of think about well, motorcycles have a a given use,、mm-hmm. and and you don't really go outside of that use. So it did help us kind of be creative in that、mm-hmm. sense. So somewhere along the lines, you you decided we're going to make this this dog is going to be our passenger, and you've got to come up with some sort of apparatus. Because you can't just have the dog sit on the passenger seat, yeah.、Mm-hmm. And, and I've seen the apparatus that you, the harness that you have, is pretty substantial. How did that come to be? So we had done a number of different designing.、Uh, we we were trying to find a way so that she could be in the laying down position, because there are motorcycle dog carriers for dogs that are like less than fifty pounds,、mm. um, and those ones they basically have them in the seated position. But I knew that that wasn't going to work for Moxie. It was going to be too much weight up top. It wasn't going to keep that same ride geometry that I wanted,、um, and so we thought, well, okay, we need her to be able to lay down, and. Around Guatemala, there's a lot of pizza delivery guys, right? And they have like these big things on the back of their bike where、mm. they they deliver food. And we thought, well, something like that could potentially work for a dog,、uh, something a bit more substantial, but that could happen. And so we went around, and、uh, we already had a good connection with a metal workshop. And this this welder friend that we had had a whole workshop, and so we worked with him to design. Her now canine moto cockpit motorcycle dog carrier that allows her to be in the laying down position. She's harnessed in the front、mm. and in the back, and that allows us to take her with us wherever we go. And, and that's been quite a ways at this point.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did what about、uh, three, four years of of riding around Guatemala and central Central America and Mexico.、Um, probably put on ten, fifteen thousand miles doing that, and that was、mm. really kind of. Um, the you you know testing it out、uh, a couple of adjustments here and there and really homing in on on the fi- sort of final quote I mean air quotes final version of the cockpit、mm. the one that exists today and and also you know learning what works and what doesn't and and how to secure the dog in how the dog should ride、um, yeah really f- sort of field testing it right and then of course the current trip that we're on. What about?、Um, I'm thinking of it in kilometers, about thirteen, fourteen thousand kilometers, so seven, eight thousand、mm-hmm. miles、mm-hmm. at this point、uh, from Guatemala.、Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, very sort of road tested in that sense. And continuing on too. I mean, you're here now in Central California and you're continuing north. How far are you going to go? So our Go Roughly Around the World adventure started on March 5th from Guatemala. Mm. Um, We have now made our way up here to Central California and we're on our way north. The goal is to get to Prudhoe Bay, Alaska by mid-July because we thought, okay, the weather's going to be good, much better than on our first trip when it was like October. (laughs) Uh, So the goal would be to reach there, come back down. We would go across Canada. Um, and then in Toronto, where I'm from, from we'd see my family, and then we would fly. We're going to yeah. fly our bikes, uh, Moxie, ourselves, from Toronto to Barcelona. Wow. And then from Barcelona, when the weather's still nice in October, we're going to start heading south through Africa. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then Africa, and then Europe for the uh, summer of 2023. Mm. Then we go east. And then the tentative plan is from Kuala Lumpur, we'll ship to Buenos Aires in Argentina, mm-hmm. make our way all the way back up and end in Guatemala. And, and you have a cause here. You're going on this adventure with your dog, and it, but it's more than that. Yeah. So like I had mentioned about my struggles of learning to ride mm-hmm. and the off-road, definitely, um, I felt like I sort of had those things in hand now. I felt like I was a good rider, um, that I had the skills that I needed, and now it was sort of time to take on the next challenge. Mm. And what what adventure motorcyclist doesn't want to do an around-the-world trip, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we were thinking about it. And it's like, okay, now is the time to do it. And because I had we had those connections with aid work and other nonprofits, I had my eye on this nonprofit called Girl Up for like a long time. Mm. And they do uh, girls' empowerment projects all around the world. Mm. So they work in 120 countries, and they provide leadership and development training for girls uh, that are ages, I think, 12 to 25. Mm. And... Um, These girls are gaining the skills and the confidence that they need to advocate for issues that matter most to them. So if that's girls in education, girls in sports, um, Mm. all of the things that matter to them, this this organization is giving them those skills to Mm. really to get to that and so that they can have gender equality. And so when I decided on the around the world. I reached out to Girl Up, and we have now partnered together for a $100,000 fundraiser for Girl Up projects Mm. all around the world. And the cool thing about it is I'm meeting the girls as we're going around on this trip. So So I've met them in Mexico City. We're meeting them in Seattle. And then we're going to meet them in, in Canada as well. And then we have a whole bunch of other ones planned for the rest of the trip. But I get to see them, see what they're fighting for, what they're, what skills they're gaining. Yeah. And, it, and it relates to my own story about sort of trying to take on a challenge and really, mm. really trying to do what matters most to you. And I feel like by riding around the world with a dog... It's got to be inspirational <laughs> to somebody. Yeah. And I imagine, uh, and what we've seen is when I when I pull up with Moxie on the back of the bike, the girls, they're just so excited to see it, just like everybody else, you know, mm-hmm. because it's not something that you see every day. And hopefully that gives them sort of that inspiration to really fight for what they want as well and give them the, the, go- the energy to sort of persevere in achieving their goals. What are the sort of challenges that people face traveling with a dog internationally that has just become day to day for you? 
I would think maybe pet friendly accommodations is is one of the the issues that comes up that you know we just we just kind of roll with. Hmm. Um, and and also the other kind of question we get a lot is around uh, sort of if it's still the sort of pure motorcycling that that I'm that I've always wanted, you know, is I'm going to go out riding and have a great ride day, and I don't want to leave my dog behind. But I also don't want to sacrifice anything about mm. the experience of a ride. Mm. There's an instinct in Western culture that happiness, first of all, is a destination, which mm-hmm. I think we all know. I'm We're old enough and wise enough to know is that that's not entirely true. But that happiness is achieved with a white picket fence and a house and a mortgage and a big fat retirement plan. And you're not the first that I've met that you know has pushed back against that and said, there's other ways. As you're out there exploring this path, do you have regrets in that sense? Is there a fear within you that says I should be using this time to go work a nine to five? And I get a lot of questions about it, definitely. Mm -hmm. And a lot of disapproval from people who think that what we're doing is crazy and that Mm -hmm. we're wasting our money. And what are you going to do after this trip? You're going to be broke and all of Mm -hmm. those types of ideas that people have about what this type of lifestyle is. But for us, this is what's making us happy. This is the happiest we've ever been. Being on the road, being together with our dog, doing what we love. It's not something that we can easily just say, no, we can't. We don't want to do this because we need to save for retirement so that we can retire in X amount of time and have mm. money for it. For us, this is what's making us happy. We're going to follow that as best as we can. Mm. And if it doesn't work out, look, it doesn't work out. There's mm. two of us. We're in it together. We both agreed on mm. it and we're, we're ready to move forward. I guess you could say we both accepted that challenge, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you've got a lot of content out there. And it's really interesting stuff. How do people follow along with you and see what you're doing? Well, the, I guess, main thing to check out really is the Go Roughly Around the World video series on YouTube. Mm. We're, we are quite proud of that. We like to think of it as something like uh, the long way round meets, um, let's say, a dog's purpose. <laughs> so <laughs> Excellent. It's what uh, Ewan and Charlie should have done, you know, <laughs> have a dog with them, and then it would have been... 110%. But we're, we, we're really, um, really proud of that. We really try and show what, you know, what that lifestyle is like, what the experience of riding is like, that you don't have to make the compromises of riding and adventuring and travel. And in fact, that the dog really just makes it that much better um, in all the ways you might imagine. Um, so that's, that's definitely something to check out, as well as, of course, uh, Instagram and Facebook at Go Roughly. And, uh, and, GoRoughly.com is where you can even down to following us with the live tracker, which is super spooky. (laughs) (laughs) And if you go to GoRoughly.com, the ways that you can support our adventure, uh, if you purchase gear at GoRoughly.com, 10% goes towards the fundraiser. Mm. So 10% is going to go towards our $100,000 goal for Girl Up. Um, Or you can donate directly to Girl Up on our website. The money goes directly to them. It's tax deductible if you're in the U.S. um, And that's also going to help get us to our goal. It's a worthy cause and a fantastic adventure. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. No, thank you for having us. This is great. Thank you so much. Rock on.